what it is, what's up, and welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I am your host, Rafe Houston, and today I am joined by a very special guest. He's the host of Wrestling Then and Now on YouTube, my new favorite channel. Uh, the the gentleman here, Michael Moraldo, interviews all sorts of, of your favorite wrestlers from the past into the present. What many don't know is he actually operated as an indie worker for over 18 years live in these streets in USA, working alongside all your favorites, WWF, WCW, and everywhere in between. So I want to thank you for making time for me once again. It is the one of me, Michael Moraldo. How are you today, my friend? Yeah, buddy. Great to, great to talk to you. Absolutely. Great we had to talk to you. This time, this time I'm up early. Exactly. We have flipped the script. Full disclosure, this is the second time we've recorded because I'm a fucking idiot and everything went wrong except for that time I was the one up at 6.30am and he was at 6.30pm. So I want to thank you for your grace and your time, my friend. Yeah, man. Let's do this. Let's do this thing. So rewinding all the way back, you know the drill. It is. When you think back to your first faces in wrestling that stood out to you when you started getting into it, as a young whippersnapper and I was first exposed to it, who were the guys that stood out to you, bud? Uh, definitely, it was a different a different business back then and it, it was more like larger-than-life people rather than work rate. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I, I think I liked it much better when it was that way. Uh, I guess, Like I said, the first time we recorded, the first match I ever saw... It was Hulk Hogan and Hillbilly Jim versus Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy, mm-hmm. and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. I was hooked. And you, you were saying that, like, it was almost instant obsession for you, right? Like, you were like, I'm now the wrestling kid. Like, this is my entire existence. Yeah, yeah it went from never seeing it ever to it's the only thing I ever watched and thought of. And you didn't have access. You couldn't watch wrestling 24 24- seven back then so it was literally going to the, to the tv guide kids and finding out what uh, when wrestling was on and just and yeah it was, it was my obsession uh it was my obsession pretty quick and then you know throughout wrestling for the next uh, as a fan for the next you know 10 years and then getting involved in it and you know wrestling is a starling on the indies and wwf wcw getting the wrestle some of these uh, guys that I watched on TV. Mm-hmm. That was a big thrill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you say that you were first exposed to it? So was it another friend at school or family? How did it, like, come across your doorstep? My, my friend Eric Drucker, I'll never I'll never uh, forgive you for getting me hooked on wrestling. We were <laughs> there. I think his, bro- his brother was watching wrestling. He said, mm-hmm. you ever watch wrestling? And I'm like, no, never. And... I just couldn't believe what I was seeing, and it was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it's that that older brother power, right? I had the same thing, not with wrestling. My my story of how I came across that was a little bit more random, like in school, but like uh, things like uh, video games and comic books and even like heavier music and stuff like that all literally came from there was a kid in class, his name was Matt Harris, the only other redheaded kid in the school. His older brother, he him Luke, was like... I guess sort of became my idol of all things cool. You know, I didn't have an older brother and he's showing me stuff like Metallica and, you know, and the, the these video games and these cool comic books and all this stuff. It can have a real influence on you when you're just like a young kid getting into stuff. Yeah, for sure. And it's all I needed to do is see that first match. And that was, 
It was the coolest thing I ever saw. Yeah. And then, like, as you went on through school, we, would you consider yourself, like, athletic? Like, were you doing any football, any wrestling training, anything like that as you, yeah. you were growing up? Yeah, I did. I was definitely, you know, into, into lifting weights. Uh, I did. I played a little football. Uh, I threw javelin. And um, I trained to be a wrestler. I mean, I, I literally started training my senior year in high school. Yeah, wow. And so what what age is that? Because our years sort of balance out a little bit differently, like between our two countries. What sort of age is that? 17. 17. And so like as soon as you could find a school, like um, I, I can say for myself, like as I was a young wrestling fan, like USA seems so far away, man. Like I couldn't even imagine finding a wrestling school, being that, you know, wrestling is sort of part of – pop culture and the fabric of Americana and all that was, is it easier to find in the USA or like, did you know somebody or you look up an ad? What do you, how do you even begin? There was no internet in 1992. Mm-hmm. There was, there was nothing like that. And it, I wouldn't say there was kayfabe, but, but it wasn't like, there wasn't wrestling in every corner like there is right now. You yeah. go to your house and throw a rock and hit an indie show or a wrestling school yeah. um, today. But um, Larry Sharp had the Monster Factory. That was a big school in Jersey that mm-hmm. the Headbangers went to, Bam Bam Bigelow went to, wow. uh, a lot of uh, known guys. Yeah. Uh, I think Godfather started there. A, mm-hmm. a lot of known guys went. And that was like an hour for me. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, once I got my license... And graduate high school, I would go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, Mike Sharp, Iron Mike Sharp, opened a school in Brick that was 15 minutes door to door. It was unbelievable how it worked out. So, and a friend that a friend of a friend was trained to be a referee there, mm-hmm. and said, "You got to check out this school." And I, I went and I immediately signed up. That's awesome. And then, as you you're training and getting into that, take take me through what like the first day of wrestling school looks like a little bit because, you know, you always hear those horror stories, you know, Hulk Hogan and stuff like, oh, they stretched me, brother, and they broke my leg and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Were you, were you getting, like, stiffed a little bit, you know, making sure they want to be in it, or was it a little bit more relaxed by that point? I think by that point it was more relaxed, especially at Mike Sharp's wrestling school because, if I'm being honest, there was no, like, it wasn't like a structured curriculum. Mm. It was more or less, like, Okay, whoever was there longer than you taught you what they knew, and uh, <laughs> and then like vice versa. Like uh, if you were there for six months, you you teach the guys who were there for three months. Or you know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like a, like I never I, to this day, uh, you know, all these years later, Mike Sharp has never gotten the ring and trained me for anything. Anything. Oh, really? Very nice man. Very honest man. Uh-huh. Uh, very. Uh, Everyone's got a Mike Sharp story. But as far as the training there, I don't think it was the best, like, like okay, okay, on Mondays we're doing this and Wednesdays we're doing that. It was kind of like, okay, show up and everyone get in the ring and get four corners and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll keep doing these nonstop tag matches. Uh, I was lucky enough that there's a guy there, Bobby Piper, and a guy there, Mike Tarras, who still wrestles these days, mm-hmm. who uh, Piper had a little experience and Mike was very athletic. And we would just... The three of us would do a lot of uh, practicing and and learning and uh, training. The three of us, so uh, it was good. Now, some guys came out of that school. Like, uh, Supernova Simon Dean was there. Crowbar was there. 
Um, I'm trying to think who else you would know. Again, the guy Mike still wrestles now. He's a real good worker. Uh, Steve Richards trained there. A lot of guys showed up. Like Chris Candido trained there before. Yeah. Maybe I'm leaving some guys out, but yeah. forgot. there are guys who went up to, to WWF TV, but as far as like guys that you'd recognize their name, I'm trying to think, is there anybody else? No, I don't think so. I'm glad you brought up Chris Candido because uh, he's somebody that we've spoken about um, before. I He had just had the um, Dark Side of the Ring episode. I just watched that. And and I was talking to you about it, and you mentioned that you had worked with Chris and you, and you did know him. Um, I know he was really, really well thought of in locker rooms and all that kind of stuff. What was your experience with Chris like? Yeah, well, you got to figure Chris, when he started, he was in New Jersey, and he was only two years older than me. So if I'm 17, he's, you know, 19, 20, mm-hmm. and he's got the bleach blonde hair, and he's in shape, and he can move, and he's got experience, and I have access to him. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's not like... Um, he wasn't in New Jersey. So he kind of became the guy that a lot of us were like, wow, we want to be like Chris Candido. Yeah. And then he went to Smoky Mountain and would come back. So I'd always pick his brain. And then I got a chance to work with him countless times. And Chris was someone who treated you like a peer, even though you necessarily weren't mm-hmm. in the ring. And he brought you up to his level rather than coming down to your level a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And He's a great guy. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Chris Candido. Yeah, that that's awesome, man. And I got to ask you about the um, the top rope power bomb, <laughs> the blonde bombshell. You ever take it? Never took it. Worked you ever see it? Of times in real life? Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, yeah, never taken it. I'm very thankful, even though I'm sure he would have landed me flat. There's a lot of room for error in that move. And, Crazy. Yeah, a lot of room. Literally no, he, crazy. He never even. He, uh, I'm trying to think when I worked with him. Yeah, I worked with him pre ECW, post ECW. So, no, never did it. Never, never asked to do it either. <laughs> what would you have said if it asked you? No, no way. <laughs> um, Depends what stage I was in. If okay. I was young, do any, any move, yes, sir, stage, or if I was in the. Why don't we do something else stage? That doesn't you know, work for me, brother, stage. Well, yeah, well, but I mean, Chris would have been fine with it. Yeah. You know, if it was the first time working with him, I would have done anything because I would, I would have been in awe that is Chris Candido. But, you know, yep. once you become, once you become, you know, on the, not on the same level, but, you know, friends. And, yeah. you know, the, the, it's not just me sitting there saying, what do you want to do tonight? It's me saying, hey, what, what if we did this? Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, yeah, it's awesome. You know, because yeah. you know, his respect level that doesn't go away. But it, it, at first, when you first work with somebody experienced, you you show it a little more, if that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, like it becomes, a, I imagine, over time, like more of a collaboration, you know, between friends mm-hmm. and coworkers and, and things like that, and yeah. and also as well, exactly. you would become over time more aware of like your body and you know you're there to make money and doing things and not to please people in the way that, you know, maybe a young kid who's just trying to get noticed would, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your your first match then and how you started to get noticed. So because you obviously got into like quite a bit of enhancement work and things like that and, you know, I think back to the 
some of my favorite shows and like the era I was getting into watching it and you were there doing these things. How, how do those opportunities even present themselves? I graduated high school in 92, June of 92 and July of 92, WWF came to Asbury Park, which is a little small convention center, holds a few thousand people. And I saw Tony Gurria there and I knew that, that the old, that the older wrestlers were now agents so I went up to them and I said, because they're always in the Northeast filming TV, and I said, I'm, I'm part of Mike Sharp's wrestling school. If you ever want job guys, you can, uh, I'd be more than happy to come down. And he said to me, I didn't know Mike Sharp had a school. So I'm not sure. So I, yeah, I didn't know if I if I buried myself with Mike because the next day at class, he's like, who told Tony Guerrero we have a school? Oh, no. And I don't think he was, I don't think he was mad. He was just curious. Yeah. But looking back, I think maybe like maybe Mike was was worried about his spot and didn't want you know guys guys who he WWF would pay less yeah and who were you know younger mm-hmm. I don't know you know you never know what he's thinking he was in the twilight of his career yeah uh, you know but you know Mike Sharp's Mike Sharp is a legend he's an unbelievable worker in unbelievable shape yeah so he doesn't worry about but he never I'll just put it this way. Only thing I know for sure is that uh, everything I said previous was speculation. Uh-huh. The only thing I know for sure was he did not mention that he had a school. Yeah, right. Uh, so he he uh, that like that month they booked a lot. It was a lot of guys. It was like it was like eight or ten guys they booked, and I went up there. I worked with Skinner, Steve Kern. And I was 18 years old and I was greener than grass and he could not have been cooler, taking better care of me. And he was just a gentleman. And every time I see him now that I thank him for that, because it just taught me such a, a life lesson that, that no matter how you know, good you are, you know, you, you always got to remember that one time you weren't and be patient and, you know, work with guys. And he definitely did that. And, Steve Kern will always be top notch in my book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but then uh, I started just doing the indies. I got hooked up with with Dennis Corluzzo, who ran the NWA in New Jersey, and Jim Kettner, who ran the ECWA in Delaware. And those were those were good indies to get hooked up with because they ran often. They had a, they had a buzz to them. And they were always in the magazines, mm-hmm. like Bill Apter's uh, PWI, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling. All those magazines always went to those events. Mm-hmm. So I immediately started working all of those shows. I was always in the magazines. So I really got some buzz behind me there. And then the following summer in 93 is where I started doing a lot more work for the WWF doing TV. And it was about three years of getting booked quite often. And oh gosh, I got to work with... Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart, Razor Ramon, Diesel, Bastion Booger, Adam Bomb, IRS, Jeff Jarrett, Savio Vega, Henry Godwin, the Quebecers, the Head Shrinkers. Gosh. Just the host. Tonka. Yeah. And then later on, guys like uh, Too Cool and the DOA and the Headbangers. And yeah, man, I got to work with everybody. It's great. That's so cool. And then you were you also um, were were amongst WCW as well, right? Like you, 
I was looking through your cage match and stuff. You and uh, and we will talk a little bit about Crowbar and you guys working together. But like you guys were like teaming against the outsiders and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Kevin Sullivan in '97, I want to say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, we were doing Independence for Tony Rumble. Rest in peace, Tony Rumble. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Sullivan took a liking to Crowbar and myself. He was Devin Storm at the time. Yeah. Crowbar, not, not Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> he was, Crow, he was <laughs> yeah, Devin Storm. Yeah, Devin Storm is Crowbar. And, yes. Um, yes. And he brought us down. We worked with uh, High Voltage. Got to work with Glacier. Love Glacier. Great dude. I met Glacier uh, in Vegas, actually. He was cool. He's a great he, dude. Yeah, real nice, real nice guy. Got to work with, oh gosh. I mean, it wasn't a lot of great matches, to be honest with you, in WCW. Mm-hmm. Outsiders a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ice Train a few times. That took years off my life. <laughs> um, Joe Gomez, a renegade. Joe's a great dude. It, a public enemy. Love those guys. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, we didn't, I didn't get in there with Eddie. You know, at the time, they had a lot of great talent. Yeah. And they had like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko and mm-hmm. a lot of great guys. I didn't get to work with any of them. Kidman, yeah. I got to work with, you know, mm-hmm. 50 times on the indies and team up with him. Mm-hmm. But I never worked with him in WCW. So it was, you know, it was all right. It, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed working for WCW. Got to travel the country and get flown around and yeah. life on the road. But Never had any stellar, stellar matches that's like, wow, you got to check this match out. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the goal, right, to do it and get paid, and and that's what you were doing. So hey, if the check's clear, and that's awesome. True, but when you're, when you're 21, trying to make a name for yourself. Yeah, you're trying to make the dream, you'd right? Rather, mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd rather trade in the, the paycheck at the time. Mm-hmm. You'd rather trade in the paycheck for an opportunity to get noticed. Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. How did um, you and Devin Storm Crowbar meet? Because you said you guys were at the same training school. Did you meet there or was it later on the Indies or how did that work? So he was part of Mike Sharp's wrestling school, but he wasn't there a lot. Mm-hmm. He he joined before me and I think he did he did some training before I did. Mm-hmm. And I remember one, one of the days I was training, he walked in and he had a uh, – High school varsity jacket on and it said 92 on it i'm like this guy's my age yeah so maybe that's what connect drawn drew me over to him <clears throat> so we started teaming um for another wrestling school had shows gino caruso's wrestling school so we started doing a little, little tag team work for him and then we, we kind of built a name for ourselves on the indies wrestling each other mm. because we were kind of like the high flying match back then mm-hmm. we were the young guys because the indies were much different back then most of the matches were slower yeah Jules strongbow versus you know tony atlas mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in the indies back then you sure. know it was more like the older wwf guys and then they had me and devin storm mm-hmm. who worked hard and the, the promoters loved us and you got in the back and then the boys would tell you all the things you were doing wrong, you know, because you were working hard and, yeah. and they had a lot of points. You know, I look back now and it's like, yeah, you know, they had a lot of good points, 
because I watch wrestling now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you didn't need to, you didn't need to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. So they did have some valid points, but he and I uh, really made a name for ourselves and we got booked on a lot of indie shows together wrestling each other. And we decided, well, let's start teaming again. And we just, it just took off. And great guy, great person, great family man. Love him to death. Couldn't say enough nice things about, about Crowbar, Devin Storm. Yeah, he, he's he's awesome. Hey, he's been popping up on um, one of my favorite independents, ICW No Holds Barred. He's in there throwing around light tubes. And he, he looks great, like great condition. Just what... A, some killer matches as well. Like he's just, he's just like an awesome fucking wrestler. Hey? And I, I, he is I, a star. Yeah. It, well, well, that's exactly right. And like thinking of his age and stuff like that. Like I wish I looked that good. I think I'm about 10 years fucking younger than him. Uh, well, maybe even, maybe even more than that. The other thing is that he, um, uh, as I was looking through, you know, your cage match and his and doing a little bit of research, that was one thing I noticed too. Like when people talked about your work or his work, they were like, great great wrestler especially against the other guy you know what i mean like they referenced your guys matches together you know one of the big things is when you're friends with somebody you're willing to try more Mm -hmm. and you're willing to try stuff that you might not suggest on somebody else Mm -hmm. because they'll look at you like you're freaking crazy or you're basically you know hey let's try this and uh if I hurt you, I'm sorry. I don't mean hurt you like break your leg or yeah, or knock your teeth out. I mean, if I land on you hard, you know, but yeah. you got to try it on somebody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely, I was definitely his tackling dummy for a little while there, uh, <laughs> you, you know, trying out new moves and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, we had great chemistry. And once we got our match down, it was, uh, it was good. It was real good. Yeah, that's awesome. When, um, when you guys team together, did you have a, a finisher as well? I love tag teams and tag team finishes and stuff. Did you guys have something that you worked on together? Did you have a lot of like combination moves? Oh, yeah, we had a lot of combination moves, but the big move, our finish was I would uh, I would sit on the top rope facing the ring and the mm-hmm. guy, our opponent would be in the middle and he would jump up and give me a Frankensteiner off the top of the, uh, off the Frankensteiner me on, onto the opponent. Wow. Essentially, it was like it was like a slingshot uh, senton, more or less. Yeah, because it gave the impression of him flipping me over. Yeah, and and like just the... like, oh sorry. Let me tell you about crowbar. He would wear these metal knee braces, like like legit, like like Austin knee braces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under his tights. Oh, and when he give you that Frankenstein off the top, <laughs> the metal would just would kill your ears oh, no. it would just like yeah it would it would like you know because sometimes it would sometimes it would just like like feel like it was ripping your ear off oh, off your my. head and yeah it, and i remember one night we did we did a tournament and we did that move three times in a row the next day i'm like why do my freaking ears <laughs> like are throbbing and yeah all this, these metal braces <laughs> oh you're like you're gonna need to get to get something else going on here we when you were doing this move were you seated on the turnbuckle and he would jump from the floor no he would jump up like he was giving me a like a frankenstein off the top like he would be standing on the front yeah so you're both so standing on the top together and then he would wow okay yeah that's crazy 
I was sitting on. I was sitting on the top. Oh, okay, you were sitting on the top, and then he, he would be sitting. standing in front, and then jump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's still crazy, and especially for that era as well, where like you're not talking some of the crazy high flying stuff that's going on now. People would have been blown away by just seeing this man get slingshotted across the ring. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Did you um? You you said you were doing like um. You were doing stuff as a tag in WWF as well, or was that mainly in WCW? We worked a dark match together mm-hmm. at the at the Spect- Philadelphia Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Then we worked uh, Brian, Christopher, and Scotty Too Hotty. Oh yeah, too cool. Yeah, they, they were too much at the time. Oh okay, yep. They weren't even wearing matching tights. Like me and Crowbar was like more of a team. <laughs> Crazy, because when they first started teaming. Uh, we did a few other matches. We worked at DOA. We didn't do much. We didn't do many uh, WWF matches together as a team. That was we worked each other a few times. Yeah, the white heavyweight division. But mm-hmm. for WWF, it was a uh, DOA, you know, the Harris Twins, and uh, Too Cool. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's cool. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about your channel because that's how we got to meet. Um, it was great content. I ran into it on uh, Instagram through your uh, feed, WWF Golden Era, but it's also uh, Wrestling Then and Now and on YouTube, Wrestling Then and Now. Um, and it's you, you know, uh, interviewing wrestlers and we're talking some of, some of our favourites going all the way back. And these are guys that you've worked with, that you've got mutual friends with, all that kind of stuff. How did you start getting into doing, you know, your show? Like, like what gave you the the will to sort of get back into it and start getting online with it so yeah i I usually keep a little profile like i never like advertise people have known me for years and they never know i used to wrestle you know i never Mm -hmm. mentioned ace darling never mentioned anything on social media and actually i got off of facebook a couple years ago Uh with the pandemic and the election it was just there's too much negativity and sure i realized like facebook is just it's fake book not facebook because Every, everyone, you know, it puts BS out there and like, I don't care about seeing pictures of people's breakfast. And you know, it's just like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm off Facebook. Yeah. And nothing to do with wrestling. Yeah. My buddy, Tommy Fierro, my best bud, he runs ISPW Wrestling. He runs 80s Con. He runs the Wrestling Collector Store. And I have access. I go to his events and I'll help, help him work the events. And I, I have, just in general, I have a lot of access to a lot of, cool wrestling things. Sure. I have a lot of friends who wrestle or mm-hmm. did. And we're in my backyard last July. And my neighbor is like, you should start a YouTube channel. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm like, ah, uh, what am I going to, what am I going to do? He was like, you have so many wrestling connections. And I started thinking, I'm like, you know, all my kids, I have three kids, my, my two youngest, my two daughters, they don't watch TV. They watch YouTube. They don't play with their toys. They watch kids play with their toys on YouTube. Yeah. I started thinking, what do I watch a lot of? I watch YouTube. And, you know, it, it, oh, you could be a millionaire overnight. No, it's, it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to really realize how hard it is to build an audience. Of course. But literally that day, I'm in my backyard with my, with my neighbor, John, and, and his idea, I'm like, no, it's stupid, stupid, stupid. Then I'm like, you know what? That day I, I started it. And within wow. that was in July, mm-hmm. and within within a month, I had like you know five interviews in the can, and I had a visit to my friend Tommy's wrestling store, and I met you know, Buff Bagwell was there, and then Tommy had an event where Jim Ross was there. I got to talk to him. I talked 
X-Pac. Mm -hmm. And before I know it, I just start reaching out to guys I know, reaching out to, to guys I, I, you know, I, I'm friends. And I, I started back up on Facebook. I started just inboxing people like Duke the Dumpster, Josie. Hey, man, I remember me from TV. <clears throat> and would you mind doing my show? Sure. Or reaching out to Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Hey, remember me from Tommy's convention? Would you mind doing my show? Sure. Reaching out to my old friend, Scotty Tuhati. And before you know it, it's just, it's just snowballed. They say it takes about a year to get your first thousand subscribers. I'm up to 5,300. Oh, wow. And I mean, just, just inter I posted probably, if I was to count, I'd probably say about 60 or 70 interviews, but just interviews that I haven't even posted yet. I, uh, I have a, uh, Coming up, Ahmed Johnson. Talked to him last night. I have Savio Vega. I have Boris Zukov. Gotten to, again, I, sometimes I reach out to guys out of the blue. I don't even know. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, Mike Chioda, Ken Patera. Trying to think. Brooklyn Brawler. Uh, a lot of guys. Those are, those are interviews that I haven't even posted yet. And I, I have about 20. Eugene, Homicide. Trying to think. I'm going to leave. I always leave guys out. Yeah, yeah. Just, so much but it's just like anything else my wife says why are these guys willing to to do your show and i'm like i'm nice <laughs> when you're nice to people it's just life lesson right there it's not a wrestling lesson it's a life lesson if you're in a position to be nice to somebody be nice if you're in a position to help someone out like matt striker came on my show or steve carino came on my show or darren young came on my show and when i was the senior guy and they were the younger guys I was nice to them. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Or when I reach out to somebody like a Boris Zukov, well, Mr. Zukov, I don't know you. My name is Mike Moraldo. I used to wrestle as a starling. I'm such a big fan of your work. You were such a huge, uh, a huge bump taker for such a big man. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have you on my show and celebrate you. Yeah. And, and it's the truth. Mm -hmm. You don't get Absolutely. people on the, on the, on the show and ask them anything stupid. <laughs> hey, if they want to tell me the dirt, ask it. I mean, mm -hmm. say, tell it. Yeah. You know, if you want to tell me, you know, about drugs or whatever, you know, it's a free form. It's like, but I, I like I said, I, I'm there more or less to celebrate the guy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, it's not like gotcha interviews or anything like that. It's, it's like yeah. a good time, a good walk down memory lane. How's everybody yeah. doing? Do you have anything to promote? And the, the great thing is, is that that then informs the next one and it, and it starts to build a resume, you know, like I really admire you just jumping straight in like head first for me, like starting my podcast, I, I put it off doing a podcast for years, mate, like six, seven years. Like I, I've listened to podcasts for, you know, forever and I really wanted to do one, but I, I really thought my, my voice or opinion had no value, you know? Like I was like, who would want to listen to me talk about this shit? Who cares? I'm a stupid Australian who knows nothing and it doesn't matter. But eventually, like, you know, I, I had a friend go to me, he's like, well, what does a wrestling podcast sound like? And, you know, I played him my favorite one. And he goes, and what's the thing that you've recorded sound like? And I play it. And he goes, it's just two dudes talking about wrestling. Who cares? Just put it up. And I was like, right. maybe he's right. right, you know? And it started with just me talking on my own about stuff I liked. And then I had the opportunity to, you know, interview a, a local guy who does commentary here on wrestling and then a – and then an Australian wrestler was starting his own promotion. Uh, and then that informed an American wrestler. And then on it goes. And then I'm like interviewing all these, you know, uh, 
American wrestlers and independent wrestlers and New Japan wrestlers and stuff. And I'm like, yo, it's like 140 plus episodes I've recorded or more and I've done all this stuff and I didn't even start doing it. And I was like, why do people care about what I have to say or the interviews? Because it's just, it's a different voice and, you know, you're kind and you're, you're nice to people and you have a fun conversation. You know, an interview you have is going to sound completely different to an interview I have. And it's a really great outlet. And, like, I think the fact that you were like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it is awesome, you know what I mean? And then the fact that all these people were immediately so receptive to you doing it is a testament to the the career and the work and the kindness that you put in after all these years. And I, and I feel like it, it, it comes through your interviews, you know what I mean, which is why I was immediately – into it i get i get posts on instagram and links and stuff to all sorts of channels all the time and your one just stood out to me immediately because i i, I was like oh an interview with lash Leroux. he i remember seeing him, <laughs> him once on a video that like i rented from a rental store once in australia and i never saw him again i thought he was so cool he had these big sideburns and he was doing the splits and stuff i never fucking saw him again and then i forgot about him for years and years and years and then i stumble upon your interview and i'm like Hey, wait, he's that fucking guy that I watched when I was like 16 and I was like, who is this dude and never saw him again? And then I watched his interview, you know, and that's kind of the power of YouTube and, and fun things like your channel. You know what it is too? Mm -hmm. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody. Mm -hmm. So there are interviews that I post and I'm like, it's a shame that this guy's not, not the biggest name guy. And most people won't listen to it, but he's got a great story. Yeah. Like I'm the kind of guy I'll listen to anything. But if there's a video on the guy who the was the timekeeper for the WWF, mm -hmm. I'm gonna listen because he has a different perspective than I would, than you would, than anyone would. So I, I just love hearing wrestling stories. Sure. So and I realize that people are like, oh, why do you want to book so and so in your show? You know, no, no one really cares about them. Yeah, but he's got a story. Yeah. And, and I want to hear a story and I want to put a story out there and maybe some people will enjoy it. Yeah. And you, you said same thing, perspective. That's the best thing about pro wrestling. There's no, it's, it's, it's entertainment. It's like music. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think this band is the greatest band in the world, I'm right. Mm -hmm. If you think the band is the worst band in the world, you're right. It's all, it's perspective. So everybody's got a different view on the same product because it's entertainment absolutely it's why why i've loved interviewing so many independent wrestlers because a lot of these guys nobody knows their stories they may not even know them yet but you know you start to build up that core listener base and I, i'll get regular messages from people like hey i listened to the your interview with jc hollow who's a young up-and-coming you know independent wrestler from new zealand and they're like his story was fascinating because this kid yeah. like was told when he was a kid he had like an eye issue and like they were like you can never do anything physical he had to have an eye transplant all this crazy stuff but then he was like after a while being a young maori boy who got in fist fights it's like hey i'm not made of glass i didn't break maybe i can be a wrestler and then went on and did it you know like these are these are kind of the stories that we all sort of share because we're all just fans of wrestling and like some people have actually found a way to do it and i think that's fascinating so let, let's um, do a quick lightning round before we wrap up here and just talk about some of your fun stories, you know, being around all of the famous superstars of the world. We'll do like a little bit of a, a fun lightning round of some of our favourite tapes yeah. and, and you can tell me a fun story. Okay. If, if I got one, I'll tell it. Yeah. All right. Well, let, well let's, uh, let's start right at the top. 
at um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's one of my favorites. Me and my dad, like I got my dad into wrestling due to him. We used to watch him all the time. You know, the the McMahon-Austin rivalry and Bret Hart and everything was all for us. So did you ever work Austin or did you ever meet him? I never worked with him. Uh, I did meet him. I was intimidated by him because he was the top, top, top guy yeah. when I did TV. Mm-hmm. Um, cool story. Uh, the SummerSlam that he wrestled The Undertaker, mm-hmm. I think that was 98, mm-hmm. I think. Um, they had the, the ACDC song Highway to Hell was the theme of that pay-per-view. Yeah. So they had that video Austin and Taker uh, with that song on it. They, it was like a, they played it on Raw, you know, to build up the pay per view. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they played it at the pay per view before the match. So the, the, they were debuting it that night on Raw. And before they did, uh, before they, they they showed it, everyone who was working the show was in the main arena area and they played it on the Titan Tron. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching it. I'm looking and I see, I see Austin watching his video with Taker. And I look over to the other side and I see Taker watching his video of him and Austin. I'm like, this is pretty damn cool. And when it was over, I swear, Austin goes, oh, hell yeah. When it was over and everyone's clapping, and Taker goes, one more time, and they play it a second time. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Run it back, lads. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How was Taker? Because he, he's obviously, you know, huge locker room leader, super respected in that era. Did his aura speak for itself? Yeah, yeah, he definitely had a presence to him. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was doing TV and I asked my college professor if I can get off for, for to wrestle. And he said, the only way you can get off is if you get me a signed picture <laughs> from The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, man. I'm like, oh, man. So I, I was like, uh, I guess. So I was just nervous going up to him asking him yeah. for a signed picture. Yeah, you don't want to be like a total college. fanboy. Yeah, absolutely. You're working with Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in college. My professor said this. He goes, hold on. So he comes back and he signed. He, he wrote on there to Professor, I don't remember his name. He goes, make sure you give him an A, <laughs> the Undertaker. <laughs> uh, That's so yeah. cool. And, and, I, and I did get an A in that class, so. That that's awesome. Well, natural segue. I think when I think of big men like the Undertaker, and I think of uh, potential choke slamming opportunities uh, for you, you did mention that you worked with Diesel and who was Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. How were those guys? Did you ever take the big boot from, from Diesel because he was in that big uh, wah wah era, and then on through you know WCW? Uh, I'm pretty sure I took everything that. Diesel didn't have too many moves. No. I did. <laughs> You're like, you know? I took all three of them. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. He was great. I, I was a great guy. Yeah. Uh, first time we worked, for some reason, he gave me a lot of the match, too, like drop kicks. He didn't bump. Yeah. He staggered. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I ducked a few things. Uh, he's great. Yeah. I remember one time for uh, – Scott Hall was, was awesome. I yeah. had nothing bad ever to say about Scott Hall. He would mm-hmm. sit right down next to you. And ask you how your day's going. Oh, you know, and I'm cool. 19 years old doing TV, and he's Razor Ramon. Yeah, I remember one time I worked with uh, the the Outsiders in WCW, mm-hmm. and then like the next week we're going to TV, and I, I thought we saw on the on the like the the day the week before like they said me and Devin Storm versus the Steiners. I think that's what, we were pretty sure we we're working with the Steiners, so mm-hmm. we're walking through the airport. 
and I hear you. And I look, there's Kevin Nash. He goes, where are you going? I go, we're going to the hotel. He's like, you're riding with me. So he got a cab and he drove, he, he had the cab go to our hotel first. And he goes, yeah, you're working with us again tonight. I go, I thought we were working with the Steiners. And he goes, who do you think's booking around here? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and he paid for, he paid for our ride from the hotel to the, to the, uh, from the airport to the hotel. So that's super awesome. cool. Both guys. That's so cool. How that, um, how about any others off the top of your head um, that that stand out to you? Just some of your your favorite personal, you know, memories. Um, Mick Foley, great guy, great, great, great guy. Doing TV, and this was right after Shawn Michaels uh, got suspended when he was IC champ, mm-hmm. and he came back to work the program at Razor to lead up to WrestleMania ten. Sure, and I remember. There was like all these different locker rooms and me and two other, I don't know, who, I don't remember who they were, but two other, you know, job guys, enhancement guys walked into a room and it was just Shawn Michaels. And we were like, oh, sorry. He's like, no, guys, come in. And sit down. He talked to us for, I'd say, 45 minutes straight about wrestling business and that it doesn't matter if there's 10 people in the audience or, or 10,000 people, you got to always give the people their money's worth and you guys set yourself apart from the pack. And it was just, wow. Yeah. It was just an unbelievable experience. Yeah. He's a great guy. Did you, um, did oh, you, oh, did you ever work, work with him? Oh yeah. 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 You ever get super kicked in the face? <laughs> I did. Yeah, awesome. yeah, sure did. Fuck yeah. That's, that's what I, I yeah. love being like, took that finish. <laughs> that, that, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. To go in sharpshooter. I took uh, <laughs> Kurt Angle's Olympic Slam. I took, uh, you know, yeah. What about Kurt, actually? I got a good story about Kurt. So yeah. in 1999, at that time, <clears throat> I was doing TV regular, regularly. Mm-hmm. And whenever they would let one of their guys, like a Bob Holly or a Bart Gunn or a Two Cold Scorpio, do an indie show, mm-hmm. <clears throat> They'd work with me. So I was always, excuse me, I was always the guy that, that they, I believe that there was like a list, like okay, who, who's trying to book my guys and who are they going to work with? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were like a Jim Kettner or a Blaine DeSantis or a Dennis Corluzzo, the office would lend, lend out their talent they necessarily weren't doing a lot with. Mm-hmm. And they'd also let their talent who were in like training, like, Dory Funk did what was called the the Funkin' Dojo back then. Mm-hmm. And it was either guys who were coming up like Edge and Christian and Kurt Angle, or it was guys coming back from an injury, uh, like, uh, you know, to get the ring rust off. So those guys would come on the indie shows. So I knew Kurt Angle <clears throat> from these weekend sh- indie shows, and he knew me. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we never had a conversation, just a hello. So I go to TV, and I, and I see... I see myself and Kurt in a, in a dark match. Mm-hmm. So I go up to him and say, hey, we're working tonight. Now, mind you, <clears throat> to this day, I live in my own world. If something happens in the news, I don't know it. I just, <laughs> I go to work. I take care of my kids. Now I do my wrestling uh, show and that's it. So I, I saw Kurt at TV before and I saw him do dark matches before. So I knew he was a guy they they were working with. They yeah. were trying to build have a spot on tv mm-hmm. 
So we talk. So he comes up to me and he says, "Would you mind calling the match tonight?" Because uh, he knew me from the game. I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Mm-hmm. So we talk over the match, and we're getting ready to go out. And Jim Ross was in the grill position. That that's the position that you stand in, mm-hmm. as they tell you, "Go," and you go to the ring. And we had like a, a ten minute, like a ten minute dark match plan. And Jim Ross is talking to Kurt. And I'm not eavesdropping. I'm literally standing right next to them. And all I hear is them say him say to Kurt, you know, I've been watching your stuff and I've been listening to your your promos. And he, he hasn't debuted on TV yet. Yeah. He goes, and between your improvements, your promos, and your Olympic background, you're gonna be a hell of a pro wrestler. And I will look at Kurt dead in the face, like a complete asshole. And I say to him, Were you in the Olympics? And he looks at me like I have like 19 heads coming out. And uh, he goes, yeah, I won the gold medal for wrestling. And right there, I think it was Jerry Briscoe said, go. And I had to go to the ring. And I, I literally thought he was going to beat the crap out of me oh, for no. disrespecting him like that. But I, I just, I was just being naive. I didn't know. Dude, no. I didn't know. How do I know he wasn't like on the bobsled team? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, don't know what he did. Place. Absolutely. I didn't know. Yeah, I just, yeah. And we got in the ring, and it was it was great. He was he was very new, and he was he was a natural, just a natural. He he listened too. Like nowadays, now it's pretty cool to say I carried Kurt Angle through a match, but <laughs> back then, yeah, I mean, he did everything he did back then was 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 very good, very good in 1999 before getting on TV. Tell me when you had this conversation, he was wearing the American fucking spandex and his medal at the exact same. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, no, he, I'm putting it together now. It's not, it's not just the costume. <laughs> and he never, at that point, he never said he won the Olympics with a broken freaking neck. So I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. No right. It was brand new. What's the content? Not every, like the Olympics, yes, it's a huge thing. But you could also count it a thing that you need to go out of your way to see. You know what I mean? I've never watched Olympic wrestling in my life, so I don't. Exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So tell everybody where to find your channel. These are the kind of great stories that you can get uh, over at Wrestling Then and Now, uh, not only from the man himself, but also from all his great guests. Yeah, Wrestling Then and Now on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I've been at it since July. Mm-hmm. I, I really work hard on this. I, I mean, you might not know by the production, but. I know nothing about technology, and if I'm not working or playing with my kids, I'm either interviewing or editing videos or making thumbnails, and I'm just trying to put a product out there. I'm, I'm going to be honest. No one has the content I do. Just not enough people know about it. I mean, just yeah. in the last year, I've interviewed about 100 guys. Yeah. 100 guys. I mean, like I said, Jim Brunzel, Rene Dupree, Paul London. I'm going to forget guys. Crowbar, Big Vito. Um George South, I just talked to this week. Wow. Um, Axe, Smash, Mosh, Thrasher, Cherry. I'm I'm leaving a lot of guys out. Um, Jim Ross, Buff Bagwell. D-Lo was one that I watched, which was a good one. Mm -hmm. D-Lo Brown. Just a a ton of guys. Steve Carino, a lot of ECW guys like Mm -hmm. Steve and Nunzio and Danny Doring and... Uh, Stevie Richards, uh, Tom Brandy, who's Sal Sincere. I had uh, Bull Dempsey from NXT. Like I try and get a, a variety mm-hmm. of, of guys on there. I got interviews with um, 
Yeah, man. Sam Houston coming up. Dusty Wolf coming up. Just a, a ton of stuff. That's just of, awesome. It, be- it just becomes, awesome. I, I know the slog, you know what I mean? It becomes like this this uh, endless sort of editing process and like booking new things and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're hungry and, and you enjoy it and it doesn't, you know, feel like work while you're doing it, that's when it's a good time, you know? And so I would encourage everybody out there to make sure you check out the channel. I'll make sure I've got it in the show notes ready to go so you can jump on over and subscribe, do all of those things and check it out. Mate, I want to thank you for your time for a second time but we've had another great conversation. I wish I had them both so we could play them back to back because we covered different ground and it was like just as interesting. So, yeah, absolutely fascinating and I hope to do it again with you someday in the future. Yeah, man. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now it's 7.20 a.m. Go <laughs> He's got to go to work. He's got a 10-minute window here. We've knocked this out in 50 minutes. That is professional <laughs> shit. My man, I want to thank you so much. We will talk soon and everybody out there, check out out the youtube channel follow the link in the show notes and until then remember it's all about peace love and pro wrestling thanks everyone for listening faces and feels is a diy project created and edited in-house by me rafe houston you can show your support by following us on instagram at faces feels cast twitter at Faces Fieldscast and Facebook at Faces Fieldscast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body. It's a roadmap of pain. Deathmatchworldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a Deathmatch wrestling promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view.